0: I said, let me ask one question. I said, do you believe that Boyle knows when somebody's dead? He goes, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I said, why is there a bag over your head? And he said to me, I've always wondered about that. I've always wondered about that. Cause Jack doesn't, when you're dead, you don't have to put a bag over anybody's head. He knows you're dead.
1: And it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey movers, what's going on? So uh, today we are going with the aftermath of the tape. The pastor has got this guy that he's gonna bring on named Jim Clouse, and we're gonna call them right now. Sorry, I'm out of breath, this is kind of exciting. So now I'm calling the pastor and we're gonna to talk to Jim Clouse, which is gonna be amazing, but I'm a little late. I'm so sorry. Hello. Hi, Pastor Ernie? Yeah. Hey, it's Collier. Um, okay, so um, I'm just gonna get into it. Uh, I'm Collier Landry and this is Moving Past Murder. Um, I have on the line Pastor Ernie Sanders and Jim Cluse. And as you guys know, I was talking about this tape that I had found of an interview with my father. And when I contacted, when we reached out to Pastor Ernie, he had some additional information, which I'm really interested to hear. And he's brought his friend Jim Clouse on the program. And so uh, Ernie and Jim, welcome to the program. How are you guys doing? Well, we're doing good, and it's, been, it's good to be here. Thank you so much. All right. So let's just do a little recap. So my um, producer had reached out to you, Pastor Ernie, and you had called her back. I believe it was on Sunday and we were chatting and, uh, or you, you guys were chatting and then I called you and then you said you had Jim. And so your original sort of thought with me was you were surprised that I thought my father was guilty. Correct. Right. Right. And you had said you had this, this information and you, you were my father's pastor. So can you give me a little bit of background on how, you know, my father?
2: Uh, yeah, Jim. Who was it, do you remember, that put us in contact with him or put him in contact with us?
0: That would have been Monsignor.
2: Okay, Monsignor, that's correct. And he asked us to, to see this, this go and see this man who was asking to see me. Apparently, he was listening to me on the radio, your father. Okay. Uh, so, uh, he sent me the paperwork, and I filled the paperwork out, sent it in, was approved, and... I started going when i would go down to the prison where he was at uh there was other inmates but i started i visited him and i he asked me to be his pastor of record so i became his pastor of record
1: so really fast for our listeners what is what does that mean to be a pastor of record
2: the pastor of record means that you are his pastor uh when when uh, something happens you are to be notified uh if he should die then i would be told that, asked to do the funeral, and so on and so forth, or uh, if he needed to, needed me, I would, would be there to minister to him. So that means I would be his personal pastor.
1: Got it. So that's sort of standard operating procedure in the prison system, in the incarceration system, like in the United States or in Ohio? Got it. Right. Okay.
2: I was the pastor of over over the years, over a 45-year span, over 100 uh, inmates.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So you've been around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did. We we were up on death
2: row for forty five years.
1: Wow. Yeah, yeah. So first of all, who is Monsignor? Jim, would you
2: uh, describe Monsignor? He was a, he was a, a private <coughs> detective. But go ahead and tell him the rest.
0: Monsignor was a guy who uh, you know was working on the Shepard murder case, and also some other cases. And uh, through the Shepherd case, I met Monsignor. We talked for a number of years, and I finally met him. And he was the one that said to me, go down and see this guy, Dr. Jack Boyle. So that was, I, he was down in, uh, whatever the one is down Warren
2: there. Warren Correctional down in Cincinnati. Yeah,
0: Warren Correctional. So I went down there and I saw him, and uh, he told me the story. I said, tell, tell me the story. So he told me the story. And when they got done, I said, Jack, there ain't three people in America that are believe your story. And he goes, well, what don't you believe about us? I said, well, let me just give you an example. I said, women don't throw their credit cards at you.
2: Oh, yeah, I they, remember that. No they, act,
0: they actually go to Home Depot or Lowe's and buy a, a, a big TV or they buy, buy a snowblower. That's what they do. They don't throw credit cards at you.
1: So we had nice little chats. Interesting. So, so now, really fast, you said this Monsignor guy. So, when you say the Shepherd case, are you talking? Are you referring to Doctor Sam Shepherd, that case in Ohio? <laughs> yeah. And and for those of us that don't know, because I'm not completely uh, brought to speed on the case, but Doctor Sam Shepherd was uh, was convicted of murdering his wife. Correct. Correct. In the first trial. And yes. And and yeah, and then the conviction was overturned. And I believe his son actually lives out here in Hollywood and wrote a few books and things of that nature. I actually love to talk to him, too. Uh, he's a guest I wanted to have on the show. What's his name? They deposed me. I was deposed um,
2: for, for Marilyn Shepherd's murder.
1: Wow. Okay, so then, but that conviction got overturned is that correct he was exonerated or he was exonerated posthumously
2: yes he tried to he tried to do try to get it uh, I was only seven years old and I'm the same age as his son Chip when Marilyn was killed now <clears throat> the reason that I was disposed was Jack Fisher was Sam Shepard's cellmate for 10 years and I was Jack's pastor And so when I would go down there, he would tell me, you know, Doc said this and Doc said that. And so uh, he wanted, because what happened was uh, with Jack, when he first was put in, Sam was the the doctor at the prison, the physician. His son was trying to sue the state of Ohio. Chip Shepard was trying to sue the state of Ohio for wrongful uh, imprisonment and try to get the case overturned, the corruption. in that was unbelievable. I could tell you the story of what, what it's a long story, but, uh, basically he had a crooked, I mean, a very crooked lawyer who had paid, uh, two, two inmates to try to get a story on a Richard Emberline. And Richard Emberlin is one of the guys who used to be, uh, uh, shepherd's window washer and maintenance man. And they accused him of killing Marilyn, and basically this crooked lawyer uh, told these two black guys there at the prison, that inmates, that if they they were to get us a, a beat a confession out of Everline, he'd get him out of prison, and that's exactly what they tried to do, and they killed him. And I had warned the warden that this was going to happen, and I mean it's a long story, and it happened. And they went and they got him in the ground real quick before the story could get out. So I went to the to the prosecutor there in Cleveland, and I told him what they did. He said, and so he checked that out and said, yeah, you're right, they, they they killed him. I said, what are you going to do about it? He says nothing. It's not in my jurisdiction. And so I mean, the corruption here in Ohio is unbelievable. I mean, it's it's a mile wide and a mile deep.
1: Well, I mean, I think the corruption. I mean, I I you know. I, I think that the cr- <laughs> corruption in, in, in the incarceration system in general is probably pretty widespread too. I mean, let's just look at the fact that drugs keep getting into the prison, but prisoners don't get out of prison to get the drugs. But you know, that's a whole other story. Um, but I think, yeah, I think there's definitely some truth to that. So, um, okay, so just really fast on the Shepherd thing. So they were, so the window washer really did kill Marilyn Shepard?
2: No, no, Evelyn didn't kill a Jack or um, Sam killed her.
1: Sam, oh, Sam, Sam, Sam actually did kill his wife. Yeah. I'm messaging my producer right now about this Dr. Sam Shepard thing, which is kind of crazy to me too. Um, the Sam Shepard thing is nuts to me. <laughs> But Sam Shepard was ultimately guilty of killing his wife, as he says.
2: Yeah. The reason oh, I, I know that is Jack Fisher was his cellmate. And when when when, Eberline, when they were going after Eberlein, trying to and they were they were deposing me and all of this, Jack Fisher, he called me and he said, look, he said, uh, that Eberlein fella, he know, I was both of their pastors. He never he no more killed her than, than I did. He said Sam did. I said, well, How do you know he did? He said he told me he did. He said you know he was they were filming. She said he told me he did. He said that uh, she was pregnant with a black man's baby, and, that, and that's why he killed her. Now, well, what happened um, with that? I put Jack Fisher on the radio. He said this on the radio. He spilled his guts right on the radio, and. um they tried to kill him there in the prison, but he, he got it done. And Everlane called me and told me they're going to try to kill me down here. I called the warden, told the warden, um, the next thing I know I get a call from the warden saying, I'm sorry, but, uh, uh, Richard died, but I, I, I'm out with, I got a really bad case of the flu and I'm sorry I can't meet with you. So that's, that's how it went. And, and the reason I was called in to be deposed was because I had spent all the time with the two of these fellas, and they wanted to know exactly before the trial exactly what I knew uh, before a case I got called to testify. So that's what that's all about there. <laughs> but I guess we're probably here to, to talk about Noreen and...
1: No, but this is also, but like, but this is also interesting because obviously the Dr. Sam Shepard, I've wanted to interview chip. I, I didn't realize his name was chip, but I wanted to interview him on this show. Uh, when I started it last year, cause I was like, oh, I mean, that's like the second most famous doctor murder trial in, or the most famous, I think in Ohio history. And I, I believe. Even, you know, it was made into a feature film called the fugitive with Tommy Lee Jones and Harrison Ford, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, I know that chip was trying to get this conviction overturned. I know that he ended up moving out here as a writer. It's just kind of weird. Our paths are very sort of similar (laughs) in a lot of ways. Um, uh, and his father was ultimately guilty. So I guess, so this detective Monsignor was like, Hey, I have this guy, you should talk to him and then you talk to my father. And so, so Jim, how do you fit into all of this?
0: Well, like I say, I worked on the Shepherd case and then I worked on, you know, he sent me down to see your dad. And after I saw your dad, then they set up a meeting for me to meet. I knew her as Sherry Campbell. So we went down to Ashland and she was at the Perkins and you walk in, you walk in the door. And, you know, when I walk into a room, I always look around the room, you know, and to see the police that was sitting in there in plain clothes to check me out. So I go in,
1: Sherry's there, along with your
0: stepfather, what, stepfather?
1: uh, Step, who's my stepfather? Yeah, so he's there. You mean George, my, my stepfather George? Yeah, so he's there and so is Sherry.
0: So we go through the whole thing and I think your stepfather said, "Well, you know, Jack's gone, and that's the end of that." And then uh, Sherry said, "You know, you're you're never gonna you're never gonna meet, you know, my mother. You're never gonna meet the baby." And then, uh, so a couple of weeks later, she said, "You know, you ought to come down. You ought to look at the place and everything. Look where all this stuff happened, because she had an uncle who was involved in the purchase of the uh, jackhammer." And so we went over and. You know, I never met him, but uh, we went over where they'd taken this brick from up in Erie and brought it down to Mark Davis's property, and we went over there. It was all gone, and then we, at some point in time, you know, I did meet Charlotte. So when we got over there, but they said, you'll never meet her, and you'll never meet the baby, and I never did meet the baby.
1: So she told you that she would, you so the, by the baby, just so so people can have some context, the baby meaning my sister, Chrissy, or Christine, who was born 12 days before my father was arrested. My half-sister.
0: Right. And I, and I, ne- I never did before. And so, uh, <laughs> kind of a funny thing, when we got down there, you know, I can't remember why, but I ended up in front of Charlotte. And I said to Charlotte, hey, Charlotte, I've been around the... The road, the pike, a couple of times, and I said, "There's no doubt in my mind that if you were available and Sherry was available, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't have nothing to do with Sherry." And she kind of laughed and she goes, "Yes, yeah, my girlfriends all tell me they tell me the same thing."
1: <laughs> so you were, you thought Charlotte was cute, is what oh, you She saying. was very womanly. Um...
0: this is many years ago, but I went out to see Jack's mother, and when I went out there. When I was talking to Jack, I said, Jack, I said, I don't know what's going on here. And I says, I have to, I have to tell you that that there's two, two ways to go to prison for life. Here's the number one way. You just go to prison for life. But there's another way to go to prison for life. That's to go to prison for life by, by, by having your mother sell her house and get, send all the money. I have, I have a letter at home that says, put all your watches in, a, in, in a, a box. I've got a great move, a lawyer. I've got a great move to make. And I said, so Jack, you can go to prison for life, or you can go to prison where your mother loses her house. So Jack went the way where his mother sold her house and whatever she did with her, her money. And, of course, he had a brother. Jack had a brother, and I think uh, I was trying, you know, this was a long time ago. But his brother sure. was involved in think, in naval intelligence. And he, he I'm was. not even sure. He, he is. Yeah. And I never met him, but, uh, he, he was behind a lot of this stuff, you know? And, uh, and that was, that was pretty much it. Like I, and I say, I, I went to see Jack's mother and I'm sure she's dead now.
1: Oh yeah. My, my grandmother. Oh, you mean Sherry's mother, Sherry's mother. Sherry's mother. Yeah, Charlotte actually passed away last year. I think it was twenty twenty one. She passed away, or maybe it was twenty twenty. She passed away recently, though. Charlotte did.
0: Right, but uh, but uh, what's her name? I am sure it was Jack's mother. She lived in Boardman, right?
1: That's correct. Yes, my grandmother lived in Boardman, and she passed away in nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. I actually was never notified that she passed away. I actually called the house to speak to her because she had moved from her apartment to, I had seen her probably maybe a few weeks before that from her apartment to my, my father's sister's house, uh, his sister, um, uh, Mimi or Mary, Mary Ellen. And, um, she, uh, I I called and then my cousin Rupa answered the phone. I said, can I speak to Grammy? And she said, Nana died. And I was like, excuse me. (laughs) And, um, she, uh, and then I got my, my uncle was there, CJ, who are you referring to the Naval intelligence guy? And he said, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah. Um, you know, Grammy passed away or whatever. I said, okay, so w- w- were you guys going to call me? Oh, well we didn't, you know, the, the whole thing is, you know, basically that day was the memorial service and I lived in Columbus at the time. And I, so I just literally jumped in my car and drove up there, because um, nobody notified me. They would have put her in the ground. I wouldn't even know. Like, you know, nobody would have told me my grandmother passed away. I would have had to figure it out. And I was having a relationship with her. I loved my grandmother very much. And, um, you know, this is one of the things, the consequences of violence. Now, you know, whether or not, you know, obviously we probably have a conflicting opinion about my father's guilt or innocence, but still the fact remains is that you guys, you know you know one of the things that i do with this program is you know i talk about the consequences of violence and here you know you're saying something which i think was very poignant uh jim is where you're saying you know there's two ways to go to prison there's one where you just go to prison for life and then there's one where you kind of drag your mother and your family through everything and my father did that and you know, that's, that's an unfortunate thing. And ultimately like this, just this whole situation destroyed my family. And I was abandoned when I was in the, and I was remanded to the foster care system and then, uh, you know, my family didn't want to take me. And that's not only my father's side of the family, but my mother's side of the family, and then they claimed they tried to, but my mother's side of the family hated my my father so much. They were like, you look like your father. We can't, we don't want you. And then my father's side of the family, they were so the whole thing was just, was just nuts. I mean, obviously, and I'm a, and I'm a an 11 year old child when it happens and 12 years old when, when I'm dealing with all of this and I'm pretty much the only grown up in this situation that wants to just like deal with it and move on with his life so um, it, you know, it's unfortunate bit, can... yeah go ahead go for it
2: yeah, let me ask you this because uh, why, why do you believe that your father was guilty uh, Because I, I'll tell you what, what he told me and all I know is, is what what he told me and then what I got from some of, the other uh, you know um, people that we were talking to, Monsignor, and others, but why why do you believe he was guilty?
1: Well, because I so I, you know i I heard the murder happen, which is what I testified. I heard the thuds. something woke me up in the middle of the night. It was like a scream, and then I hear the footsteps. Now, obviously, I don't see my father murder my mother um, because I don't believe if I did that I would still be here. i mean, it's it's not it's not hard to dig a bigger hole. <laughs> if you will, not to be crass about it, but it's the truth. Um, but I also, uh, you know, my father's demeanor the next morning, when I come down, I say, where's my mother? He goes, mommy took a little vacation Collier. And my father had a very violent temper. I saw it and I saw my father's demeanor and I, and as now I'm an adult, right. And you know, as a child, you're figuring it out, but you know, something's up. But then as I think back on it as an adult, I really do realize that. You know uh, that his behavior was that of uh, you know either a sociopath or a narcissist. I think that he has all those all of those qualities. Um, and but I but you know I I also think at the same time you know I, going through this as an adult uh, you know trying to examine. I mean at the end of the day I don't want to believe my father's a murderer because he's my father. I mean, granted my relationship with him is not what it was and not what it ever could be or anything and he did this heinous I believe he did this heinous act I know how he behaved with me and my mother but also like you know you don't really you really don't want to believe your father killed your mother and like a little a little boy does not want to believe that despite the relationship with her father you don't want to believe that and maybe call that a solipsistic sort of looking at it going, okay, well, I don't want to be labeled a murderer or I don't want to think I'm capable of some things or, or part of it is like you idolize your parents and if you're a, a boy, you usually more idolize your father than your mother, you know, you, cause you're this connection, obviously a gendorial connection, uh, a gender connection. So, um you know, there's these sort of things. So of course you don't really want to believe that. So I sort of kind of had to reconcile that over my entire life and still do to a large degree at this moment in time. Um, but that's what I believe. That's what I know. I saw that's what I heard and you know, and his behaviors and the way he's changed his story and things like that. But I'm also very interested to hear what you guys have to say. So what, You you, you had referred, you had said you had spoken to some people, I believe, uh, in law enforcement or some prisoners or or a mixture of both, or obviously you guys have done a very significant amount of research into, or, or had at the time, you know done some significant research into thing, into this case or into corruption in Ohio in general, which led you to this case, right? I mean, I think that's really how you guys, how you guys come to this is because there's corruption and you're aware of it in other cases. And you're like, oh, well, this is interesting. Here's another, you know, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck, perhaps it's a duck. So you're trying to, you're trying to do your best. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a number of things that took place and and of course. Uh, I can tell you what your father told me, and then I'll and then I'll go back and tell you why why I believe I you know I believe that he was probably telling or I thought he was telling the truth, and here's here's why because what he had told me and Jim you remember he had told me that uh, there was uh, situations going he was set up that he was set up and he had told me that there was the corruption that was taking place there in Mansfield. And that uh, your mother, Lorraine, was was involved with a a woman named Black, with her last name Black, and basically uh, she was her husband left her as pretty much the person running the entire Mansfield situation. Now, uh, Jim and I were just looking into some of these things, and because of the radio program, uh, you know, they tried to intimidate me. Okay. Uh I got I got followed seventeen miles down Route seventy one with a state trooper right on my bumper, seventeen miles and I, I stayed exactly at the speed limit. And then he pulled me over. And he came up and he uh he said, uh, the reason I'm pulling you over is I'm concerned about your safety. And I says I wasn't speeding, I said he says, Well, technically when you pass the truck you went two miles over, but that's not why I pulled you over. You see, I'm very concerned about your safety. And there's some very powerful people in Mansfield that's concerned about your safety. And uh, he said, you didn't have your seatbelt on. And I said, you saw me take it off. He said, that, that's right. But I also saw you put it on. You were already on the highway. When you left the prison, you were a good ways down the highway. And we were watching you through binoculars. And that was true. I didn't. I did put it on while I was... Going, going down the highway quite a while and so he followed me and he said now uh, because we we want you to take care we don't want bad things to happen to you uh, we're going to just uh, he's uh, I know you have credit cards and let me know that they knew a lot about me and he says um, that's the automobile that you're driving I know that you can afford to pay the fine and so I'm just going to find you right here, and you can pay me right here, so you don't have to go back to Mansfield because, you know, we, you know, like I said, we're concerned about your safety.
1: So hold up really fast, Pastor Ernie. Do you live in? Do you did you live in Mansfield at the time? No, no, I live out in Hunt County. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. So why would you go back to Mansfield to pay a fine? That doesn't. So here was a very, very. Uh... Back in those days, you had to go to court to pay the fine, and so
2: you had to go back to Mansfield, where uh, it was just outside. Of the, he was the, the state trooper was from Mansfield, and that's where he said I committed the offense.
1: But you weren't in Mansfield because you were in Warsey or whatever Warren, which is in Lebanon, right? Or
2: I was seventeen miles down, down uh, seventy one, heading back north towards Cleveland. Sure. When he pulled me over. And then we also got a call I got a call telling me that uh, there was, that the radio program was making some very powerful people nervous, and that uh, he, uh, it would be good if I was to quit talking about Boyle uh, and about what was taking place now. There was a fellow
1: named Martin Yatz. Marty Yatz, Marty uh, rotten to the core, rotten to the core. Martin Yant, who wrote Rotten to the Core and Rotten to the Core Two, and a couple other ones, Uh, right? Uh, There's more. So, but really fast. So, were so at the time because you said you you said that somebody called you about the radio program. Were you talking about my father's case on the radio program and about this sort of fishiness that you suspected per Monsignor, per Jim, or or Martin, or or what? How did that? Why did they threaten the radio program? Was it it other things or?
2: Your father told me this that that your mother had gotten involved with this, there was trafficking, uh, and we had a police, a former a guy that identified himself as a foreign police officer. He uh, he contacted me. I led him to the ward. He uh, he told me his story, and uh, he felt that he wasn't gonna be around long. And so uh, I led him to the Lord and he told me that he, his job was to pick up children in Detroit, to Drive them into Mansfield, and these crooked judges would give them a false birth certificate, and they would literally be sold. And everybody knew that there was uh, this this human trafficking thing coming out of Detroit. There was, they would have, literally have auctions. Now, this is what he told me. Now he told me uh, that because because he came on the radio and spilled his guts that he was probably a dead man. Okay, now. Your dad had told me that your your mother was involved with this woman, the black, and there was a lot of corruption, and that your mother had had said that, that she wanted. Here's what he told me. And whether it's any of this is true, I don't know. I'm telling you what he told me. That she went to Miss Black, and said she wanted a bigger piece of the action, and that that because of that, they killed her, and they decided to get rid of him by by setting him up he told me that they had set him up with a prostitute I think her name was Sherry, I don't know, Jim, was it the same woman? I'm not sure. Okay that uh, he had set her up uh, set him up with this prostitute and that he was he was seeing that prostitute uh, before and I guess after uh, your mother died your mother was killed and then murdered and then uh what happened was i guess then uh she turned over on him so this is uh, this is what he told me now i believe a lot I'm of that because family. well we got the threats we got remember uh, detective what was it detective lemon jim yeah lemon yeah okay what was it they told you they, they gave, I believe they gave your home a call to
0: and told you? Well, we put an ad in the paper, it Says seeking information on uh, Gershaw Johnson, Debbie Myers and Noreen Boyle. And we got a lot of phone calls and we got a lot of threats. And it was very interesting. And I'll just say this. When I first went down there, it looked very cut and dried to me. And as time went on, and I, yeah, I had a stroke a couple of years ago. So I'm not as sharp
1: as I used to be, but so <clears throat> sound pretty good to me. <laughs> so pretty dude. Like you're pretty, you sound like you're doing pretty good to me. <laughs> I was all
0: coming back. So I said to Jack, Jack, I said, are you an honest person? Are you, can I believe what you're saying? He goes, yeah. I go, why wh- here, here's the question you could buy a hundred houses. You could buy a hundred houses, not only in Erie, but also in Mansfield. Why did you buy a house next to Gene Hart? And you know what he did? He looked at me like, well, you're not as dumb as I thought you were. Gene Hart, if you read all those books by Marty Yance, his name is in there a lot of of the times. So to be living next to a guy like that, who also testified against your father, he was the guy that said, I saw the car pull up the drive. I wouldn't. Number one, I would not. I would not let Gene Hart shine my shoes, let alone testify in my against me as a prosecution witness. So why would your dad buy a house next to a, a a puke like that? Why would he do that?
1: Well, do you think that my father knew? Do you think that my father knew who Jean Hart was? Because you know, we we if you didn't, you wouldn't have bought the house no. next to him. If you didn't. So, do you think? So, why do you think my father bought the house? Was he, was he trying to get protection, or was he trying to be a part of some sort of illegal activity, or because of my mother? Like this is all. This, so this is all very. I mean, this is all very interesting and I'm, and I'm definitely not, I'm, I'm definitely not refuting what you guys are saying or anything like that or, or what you believe. But what I am, and what I am sort of kind of coming to my own conclusion is, or, or this is maybe the conclusion that I'm drawing is that my father, I believe that my father's a sociopath and a narcissist and you know, look, he's been able to convince a lot of people of a lot of things. What I'm wondering is in my father. If my father is, you know, I believe my father to be guilty. So let's just say he, you know, he's guilty. He's incarcerated, right. Um, that he might've heard these stories or read Martin's book or heard stories in prison, because that's what happens when you go to prison, you hear about all these things and when you guys reached out to him or he, you know, I wouldn't put it past my father to try to involve you guys in something for his own benefit and try to manipulate it in a way that suits his narrative. So as far as the house, you know, we moved to, we moved from, uh, Dahlgren, Virginia to Mansfield, Ohio. So we wouldn't have known Gene Hart. So I don't know how that plays in. So that's what I'm interested in. So how would that have happened? I mean, is Gene, Gene Hart so famous? If he didn't know when he bought the house, and I'm not sure how he bought the house, I
0: can tell you this. Shortly after he got there, the neighbors would have told him, oh, by the way, that's Gene Hart. Everybody knows who he is. Now, now let me just get two things in, if I could,
1: real quick. Who, who, but was who who Gene, Gene Hart, really fast, so everybody knows? Because he was a sheriff, right? Or, I don't know.
0: Sheriff, or, I think it was a sheriff. Or a police. one okay. Of the
1: Okay. Got it. So, okay. and,
0: and he's in that book. You look up the book. His name's in the index. So, Yep. so i got in front of a, a homicide detective that worked on your case your
1: dad's case and we got in front of him and we, and we were social I, I knew a lot of people down there and i said to dave Mass, dave Massmore, is that you're talking about no that's exactly who i that's
0: another guy that you and i need to talk about because he's the guy that was babysitting you while your dad was on trial for his life he was and then when the trial's over he tried to adopt you and even even judge chris says you can't adopt this kid you can't adopt this kid nobody tries to do that try to adopt a you're, you're the lead detective and you're trying to adopt a kid that that his father's on murder on a murder trial that's that's unheard of it never happens so I got in front of this guy I can't I'll think of his name I can't think of his name right now but I got in front of him and we had a nice talk and he goes I hear you in the Munson senior group I said yeah I sure am and he says uh well he goes uh what do you think happened here? I said, let me ask one question. I said, do you believe that Boyle knows when somebody's dead? He goes, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I said, why is there a bag over her head? And he said to me, I've always wondered about that. I've always wondered about that because Jack doesn't, when you're dead, you don't have to put a bag over anybody's head. He knows you're dead. So what's interesting, they sent me up to see your mother's grave. She's up in Towson, Maryland. And what, what a nice yeah. town, college town. And you go up there. And uh, if you want to buy a book at 3 o'clock in the morning, you want to buy a, a book, a magazine, or m- music, the, the the town was always open. So I went over to your mother's grave. And I, when I got, got over there, I came back to town. And my senior called me up. And he goes, I want you to get together with the coroner in Akron. His name is Cox. Yep. So I set, him, I set him an appointment to meet with him. And we went down to there was a spaghetti house, I think, in Solon. We went in a nice spaghetti house, we we're eating everything. And I finally turned to him and I said to him, Dr. Cox, I said, Can I be frank with you? He goes, Yeah. I said, Between you and me, I I really don't care who killed Noreen Boyle. I said, but if you if you if you look at her, you're gonna go to prison. And he and he laughed in my face. Just think of this.
1: So we finished our dinner, they brought- Wait, wait, hold on, hold, hold on, S- sorry, sorry, hold on. He said, so if you look at her, you're going to go to prison, is that what you said? Sorry.
0: Yeah, he was gonna, re-aut- he was gonna re-autopsy her. Uh-huh. I said, you look at her, you're gonna go to prison. He laughed in my face. I come back, they dug Noreen up, brought her out down to Akron, Cox looked at her, and uh, maybe about uh, two months later, three months later, the city of Akron, saw improprieties in the coroner's office. He was indicted, found guilty, lost his medical license, and uh, I think he did three to five, I have to look this up, three to five months in prison. So (laughs) he calls me at home and he says, this is Dr. Cox. I said, hi doctor, how are you? He said, you want to meet down at that spaghetti house again? I said, yeah, fine. We drove down there, we went to the spaghetti house. (laughs) He turns to me like this and he goes, I got arrested. I lost my license. I spent five months in jail. I said, doc, doc, I looked you right in the face, and I said to you, if you look at her, you're gonna go to prison. I said, and he laughed in my face. Then these doctors, they have their social side or their human side and their doctor side. I said, did you see the kidney beans? Because Noreen's last meal was chili. I said, did you see the kidney beans? He goes, yeah. Yeah, he said,
1: I saw them. <laughs> That's a fact. That happened. (laughs) So it really was my mother's. So, it well, because I gave DNA, you know, my my stepfather or my adopted father took me down there. I gave DNA and I believe my aunt, my mother's sister, gave DNA and they tied the body. So so it really was her body is what you're saying.
0: No, it was her body. Everybody knew it was her body.
1: Got it. Ted Joy was the big reporter down there handling this. And I spoke to Ted Joy for the Akron, for the Akron Beacon Journal. It was Tom Adgate was the, was the lawyer. Yes. Right.
0: And like yeah. I say,
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny when I met your dad,
0: It's kind of, I'll, I'll admit, he's, I liked him. He's cagey. And uh, so I said to him, give me something to work on. He said, I'm going to give you three addresses where they, these children ended up, one of them ended up at your house, whatever that, I never met that girl, but whatever her name was, uh, I don't know her name.
1: Elizabeth, Mm-mm. Elizabeth or, Elizabeth or Caitlin. Yeah. She got adopted. Yeah. She was adopted by the, my fo- by, by my foster parents. So I had three addresses.
0: The one address was in Avon, Ohio. And I drove up there and I got a little lunch and a sandwich,
1: uh,
0: and some of the drink and I parked out front of that house. And I'm sitting there eating my sandwich, drinking some pop, you know, and a woman came out of the front door of that house with a little Chinese baby in her thing, and I, I have to tell you, that really, that really floored me, you know. Oh, so there's another Chinese baby? They call him Chinese doll. Another Chinese doll up here. I only went to the
1: one house. I never went to the other two.
0: Mm.
1: Huh. So, okay, so but hold hold on. So really fast. So Jim, you know, what do you do you think my father is guilty or innocent? Or maybe or maybe a little bit of both. Well, what do you think? What do you think?
0: What does what does it matter if what I think?
1: I told you I told you enough questions
0: to make you at least think. And I have to tell you what what really got me was the fact that uh when that Gates and Joy and all that fell apart, when that all fell apart, your dad became a Muslim. Uh, the one thing we did find out, and I can't remember his name, but Jack's attorney in the trial, was also Robert Whitney. An attorney, who?
1: Robert Whitney or um, or Charlie Robinson? Charlie Robinson was my dad's divorce attorney, and then Whitney was the was the criminal defense lawyer, like the real criminal defense lawyer.
0: I can't remember now, but one of those two guys. While your dad was on trial, was also rep- representing the judge that was on the case. I can't remember his name either. Henson. But he was actually representing the judge on the case. And any time that happens, except in your dad's case, that trial gets overthrown. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's a conflict of interest. <laughs> <laughs> never overthrown. Why? Why was it never overthrown? And then somebody called me one time, we had a lot of phone calls, and there was a phone call, some guy called up and said, you know, you better stop coming down to Mansfield. I said, who are you, you puke? And he goes, "Uh, well, you don't need to know, but things are gonna get rough for you down here. And I said, look, I said, I I, I wouldn't spend two seconds with a threat like that. So uh, a Hells Angels guy called one night, and he said, "Do do you need any protection? I said, from what? Well, from what? So it was funny. I, I knew a lot of the people down there, but a lot of the people I didn't know. So I went down to the tribe the, where they were going to have the hearing. I went down to the hearing. When I got down to the hearing, I got in the elevator. And who comes in the door? Bob Lemon. Now, do you know who
1: that is? Oh, yeah. You know H- Who? Do you know who that is, Collier? No, what, what was his name? Sorry. Bob, Bob Lemon. Lem. Bob Lemon. Bob Lemon. I don't know who Bob Lemon is. No.
0: So uh, that's another whole story. But anyway, he got on and he looks at me and he goes, I'd never met him before. And he looks at me and he goes, what are you doing here, Jim? I said, what are you doing here, Bob? He says, you're causing quite a stir down here. I said, well, it's kind of a corrupted town, if you ask me. And I said, uh, yeah, I says, uh I said we've had a, t- quite a time down there. He goes, yeah, with the Monsignor group. I said, yeah, the Monsignor group takes something like that to get to the bottom of the crap that's going on down here. And I said, yeah. I said, Bob, I wish I could think of her name. Uh, the The police officer that killed that woman and threw her down the river. I uh, wish I could think of her name.
1: Uh, what was that? Is that was that in Ohio? Was that in Ohio? Mansfield,
0: Mansfield,
1: yeah, Mansfield right? Yeah. I'll think of his name, but anyway.
0: I said, yeah, I said, you know, that girl, I said, I said, I wish I could think of her name. I said, what's that girl that killed that, you know, it was killed by that police officer on duty. He goes, oh yeah, yeah. He goes, I, I actually knew her. I said, you knew her? Margie Coffey. Yeah. Margie Coffey. And who was the cop that killed her? So it was Margie Coffey. Yeah. Charles Oswald was the cop, lieutenant. On duty, kills her, throws her down the river. I said, I said, you know, I've been down here checking all this, all this stuff, and I said, what about Margie Coffey? He goes, I knew her. I said, you knew her. I said, you guys were passing her around like a piece of candy until she became a Jehovah Witness, and then she came up to find out who was the father of the baby that she aborted, and they found out it was Charles Oswald, and that's why she got killed. And he goes, something about. Yeah, it's a small town down here. I said, no kidding. And I said, you know, I said, when we found out that Chris tried to, ad- not Chris, when Bestmore. Mesmore tried to adopt Collier, I said, boy, we all hit the fan over that. And I said, and, and even Lemon says to me, yeah but, yeah, but he never got her. I said, no. I said, you know, who, you know who got her? And I said, about your father-in-law. I said, your father-in-law got her. And, and I says, and now who's he? Yeah. He goes, he goes, I'm related
1: to her. I'm related to her. Wait a minute. Father-in-law. Sorry. Who, who are you speaking to? Who are you speaking about? I'm so sorry. I
0: can't remember the, what's his
1: name? You mean my adopted father, George? Yeah. Is that who you're talking about? Cause he wasn't related to anybody. My parents don't, you know, really know what, what's anybody. Last name? Ziegler. And then there's Riggenbachs. There's the Riggenbachs who were the, the foster people. They, they got Elizabeth, my sister. They kept, they kept what custody was your of her. Father-in-law's, father. Adopted stepfather. father's name? Adopted father's name is George, George Ziegler. Ziegler.
0: I said, I said, it's very interesting. I said, we checked a lot of people and the one person we found was Ziegler. I said, is he anybody to you? And Lemon said, yeah, I'm related to him. I said, it's a small world, small world. So make a long story short, Sherry had a, a haberdasher shop off of Trimble. And I went down there a number of times. When I got down there, you know, she was seeing a bunch of guys down there. And I can't think of his name either.
1: What, what do you mean? What do you mean she was seeing? What do you mean when she you say she was seeing a bunch of guys That's down the there? She had a little uh, shop. She was, she was seeing a bunch of guys like... She was selling clothes, or was she selling other services? Was she selling services? Is that what you're saying? She was selling clothing. <laughs> got so it. When we got there, I would go to see her a couple of times in the store. wasn't doing
0: good, and it finally closed. When I went over there, there were, a guy came into the store. I can't remember his name, but anyway, he came in the store and started talking. I think he was swearing in front of her. And I finally stood up and I said, "Hey, hey, you, you, you can't, you know, you can't be talking to this woman like this." And he gave me that look like who the hell are you? And I said, and Sherry said, Jim, please leave. Just please leave. So I went out to the car, went out to his car. When I got to his car, I checked the pla you know, I took checked the VIN number. Got the VIN number, gave it to Monsignor. His people looked it up and, and he called me up and he goes, Either that guy is a police officer or he is a, not a, like a car My father's
1: name George. I said, well, he doesn't look like a say George's me. name. I'm going to be a little pissed.
0: <laughs> and For he real. was the guy that later hit her, and 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 Charlotte said the blood that came out of her head was like in the uh, about a, a foot and a half across. He was. I mean, she later married him. She married him.
1: Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on. So Charlotte married. Married. Sherry married the guy who killed who killed my mother. Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm oh, saying- oh, oh, got it. Are you talking about Mike Wooger? Are you talking about Mike Wooger? Yeah, Woog, Is Wooger. Is that who you're talking yeah, about? Woog.
0: Yeah, he's the guy, he came up with, I think it was a red car, and I went over and I checked the bin number, and when I went out there, Monsignor said that guy's either a cop or he's a, uh, a uh, uh, car salesman. And even at the beginning of this get together, we were talking about how we went on to, to uh, Perkins. And when, when we went into Perkins, you look around the room and you see like five police officers on, in plain clothes. So what they do is they, they protect each other. You see what I'm saying? In other words, if
1: you're a yeah. loose cannon, you ain't, going in. you ain't going anywhere. So do you think Mike Woogard was a police informant? Is that what you were saying? I never, you know, first of all, <laughs> that was toward the very end of the case. And it's very interesting
0: because at some point,
1: because Sherry got married. To, Sherry got married to him after my father, and she was married to him. I know it was a very abusive relationship. I think that he had an alcohol problem. I believe Gene Hart also had an alcohol problem. I was told. Um.
0: Right. I mean, it was funny because we were down south of Mansfield a couple, maybe two years ago, and when we were down there. They were saying that uh, this
1: shit is bananas. We
0: started talking about this case. And everybody knew about it. A lot of people say, "Oh yeah, he's my doctor." We're down there talking about it. And the woman that owned the stable said she, she was Sherry and her daughter comes down here and rides. I said, no kidding. I says, I've I've lost track of everybody down there. And he, and she said, she married a rich guy south of Mansfield <laughs> that, that's an old timer. He's got all kinds of money. And that's the last I heard her name until I got this phone call yesterday. Like even I told Boyle, I said, Boyle, I said you're going to do you're going to do every minute of it. I said if you don't if you don't become honest, and what I ended up here, this is what I heard. I heard he had a, uh, a chop shop in the, in the medical situation, and that, that they, they, there was gold smuggling. There was smuggling of gold, and then this child thing. And uh, at some point in time, I got a phone call one night, and the guy says to me, "Are you legit?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, we're legit." And he goes, what do you know, what do you know about First Presbyterian? I said I, I don't even want to talk about that. I said that was a child molestation church, where, where, I think ten, I, I forget everything. Ten to twenty people came forward and said our child was molested here. The city of Mansfield said, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. One guy went, one guy was put away. I think it's a young guy. I used to even know his name. He got put away when he got put away, other families of that church had a press conference. You could look it up in the paper and said, "We have been lied to. Our children were attacked. Our children were molested. This is what happened, and they promised me they 're going to get to the bottom of it and they' put one guy away that 's the kind of city you 're living in people were living in
1: when I was initially thinking about this conversation I was <laughs> you know, and I, when I had heard about you years ago, I was like, you know, and I, and I mean this with all due respect, I'm not, and I, and I don't feel this way, but I was like, oh, these are, you know, a bunch of crazies, like kooks, they're, they're making this stuff up, but talking to you, you're very, you're very, I mean, like I said, you, like, when you told me you had a stroke, I'm like, you're doing pretty good. I mean, you're very, you're, you're, you're very intelligent. You're both very intelligent people and you're very, um, like, you're not, you're not like, <laughs> you're not like crazy conspiracy theorists. This is like, which is what makes this so interesting to me because some, like the points and the things that you're talking about do make sense and you're not saying anything that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I don't like, I don't, and I don't know about this like baby thing and all this other corruption stuff, but you obviously did the legwork, but what I feel like is that my father latched on to what you guys were looking at and used it for his own advantage. And Like, just what you said to me, like, Jack, you got to be honest. Jack, you got to be honest with me, you know? And, and so you had the suspicion that my father wasn't telling the whole truth, like my father. So you talked about the plastic bag, right? So my father says to me, and this is in my film. He says to me, you know, uh, I said, why did you put a plastic bag over her head? He said, oh, thank you. Uh, why did you put a plastic bag over her head? And he said, because I didn't I was afraid to look at her. So he admitted to putting the plastic bag over her head. You know, um, so it's, it's, it's just very interesting. And I think that like, for me, it's like the web of deception, like with my father just runs so deep, it's now roped people like yourselves in who have legitimate concerns about things that were going on and you know, and I'm, and like, again, I'm not here to say what was happening. What you guys were looking into was justified or not i have like i have no idea i mean but, but i'm saying like talking to you guys you're very both very coherent and very intelligent people you're not your, what,
2: what your father what your father had to say went along with a lot of what these other people were telling us especially about where it came to the the auction the human trafficking of the children he seemed to know about that and and sure. uh, again Uh, And so the other people that we talked to that that admitted,
1: yeah, that's what that's what was taking place in Mansfield. And my contention is that my father played upon this, knew about this, and used it to manipulate these guys and spin the story for his own benefit. That's my contention.
2: Now we know that there was uh, so much other corruption taking place there. There was one case where there was three three teenagers, young guys. Uh, they came through there. Well, they were probably close to twenty, and uh, they ended up being killed, let out, murdered by uh, the uh, the sheriff's department out there. According to Marty Yance, what he had investigated. Now the, the the building he was living in, I had him on the radio program several times, where him and his family lived. He was warned by the by you don't you don't print anything about the sheriff's department or the police without our permission. And he said, if I can prove it, I'll print it. And with that, uh, they set the place on fire with him and his family. in it. And so, and then, you know, the threats that I got, remember Jim taking the tapes down to uh, the library? Yeah. Yeah. What happened? We told people, look, I I don't like being threatened. I get, it gets old very quickly. And I look, look." (laughs) yes, it does. And so what happened when they called and told me, that I better just kind of stay away and back off and quit talking about what was going on in Mansfield. That's when we took tapes down to the library and left, with, we announced it on the radio. You want, you want to you want, you get a tape of this program of what took place. And that's when we had uh, the fellow who admitted to uh, driving the children in. I can't remember his name, because it's been 30 years. But anyhow, he uh, that was on there, that conversation. And we left them in there. And who was it that came in right afterwards? Jim, uh, was that was that Bob Lemon? No, I don't think
0: so. No, no. But I'll say this, Collier. You know, I'm very sympathetic to what happened to you and what you've been put through. And uh, I have to tell you, you know, my own opinion. And I was very, uh, I was very the way you were put on that trial, you know, most of the times family members don't testify against the family members, like the wife can't testify against the the husband. But when you were put on there and you were very, you you were very into the trial and everything, but it was very hard to take, you know what I'm saying? I I never met you, first time I've ever talked to you. And it was funny, I always knew that at some point in time, somebody was gonna call up and and wanna talk. But it was funny, I, I always wondered how it was gonna go. But what I can tell you is I saw the whole trial and when I watched the trial, especially not knowing that the lawyers, the Jack's lawyers were were representing the judge, whatever his name is, I can't remember his name, but, but, uh, when I saw the trial, you know, Sherry, she wasn't my type of woman, but she was an attractive woman, but she was an attractive, attractive woman in a certain way on the trial where, you know, when I got in front of her, if you looked at her face, straight on there was like a triangle in her face and if you look at her from the side she was actually kind of homely bony and homely so I was down there one time and I've been in front don't get me wrong I've been in front of some very beautiful women including some of these women that Bill President Bill Clinton was involved with and not Monica Lewinsky and uh I got down to Sherry and we're talking and I said to her Sherry I said you know, when there's a murder, when there's a homicide, I said, a lot of times people can't take it and they fade away. I said, my own opinion, it looks like you've you've lost 10% of your beauty. And she went like this. She goes, 10%, 25%. So we're talking and I was like, there was like some energy that came out of the front of her head. And I believe me, I've been in front of some gorgeous, my wife's a gorgeous woman. and And I'll tell you what, I've never had my eye twitch because of something of the energy coming out of a woman. And my eye started twitching. And she goes like this. She goes, Jim, your eye is starting to twitch. I said, well, I said, you're the one shooting the energy out my way. Now, last but not least, I'll tell you one last story. So they said I never get in front of Charlotte. So I did get in front of Charlotte. And she was a very yeah, lovely woman. Don't get me wrong. And I got in front of she her was, husband. Yeah. I don't remember, I think he's dead now, too, but.
1: But he was a yeah. Charlotte was very Charlotte was very lov- lovely. I, I you know yeah. God rest her soul. I liked Charlotte. She's dead, right? Yeah, she passed away. To so, yeah, she passed away either last year or the year before.
0: Right.
1: So I, I think it was her last husband year. was
0: yeah. her husband was a truck driver. And I remember one yes. time when they come home, Jack and I spent. I'll tell you. What, we, I think his name was Jack. We spent like one afternoon together. He was working on the truck. I just sat there and helped him and this and that and the other thing. And then uh, when it was done, Monroe had said to me, if you get for fun of Jack, there's a lot of people thinking he might have been a mule bringing drugs up on that truck. So we just sat and talked.
1: Nice talk. Jack, ba- Jack Bomberger, who, is, who is, would be Sherry's dad, I guess. Yeah, right. yeah. that's Right. So we had a nice talk. Then we
0: went in the house. And it was kind of funny. I always remember this. His chair in the living was broken and he had a wrench. They, they turned the chair so he could lay backwards. And we sat there and talked. We were just talking about import, you know, important things. Then he goes, I thought you wanted to talk to me about Jack. I said, well, we've been having a nice day. Why would I want to talk about him? He goes, I said, if you have anything to say, say it right now. He goes like this. He goes, Jack, he pointed at a light on the ceiling. He goes, Jack could not
1: screw that light into that socket. You're talking about my father? You're talking about my father? Yeah. Yeah, my father was kind of useless. He, he, he couldn't screw this light bulb in here. And he, and he looked at me with a real
0: serious eye and he goes, and don't tell me he ever dug up that, don't tell me he ever dug up that basement with that jackhammer. And so that was the discussion I had with him. And then things kind of, they didn't like, I said to Sherry, I says, I don't buy Mark Davis for one second one minute one second and there was a lot of talk about him monsignor told me that there was a lot of talk about him with illegal steroids but anyway i got in front of charlotte one time a very lovely woman and i said charlotte i said you know I, it looks like this is coming to an end i'm going to go my merry way it's been nice to meet you so on and so forth i said but i said i just want to get i just want to get one last thing into you and i said could we at least talk about your involvement in this case? And she got very upset and she and she got, I think she actually stood up and she goes, Jim, I am a Christian. I'm a Christian. I, I've never been through something like this. I have nothing to do with this. I said, Sheryl, why are you lying to me? I said, when the real estate agent in Erie called to your home and asked for Mrs. Boyle, you handed the phone to Sherry. You're not into this. That woman's dead. She's dead. She's not coming back. And you're lying about who the real estate agent thinks thinks she is. You hand the phone to Sherry. She goes, Jim, you need to probably leave the house now. You, Jim, you should probably leave the house now. I said, Well, don't don't try to kid me. I've been around the pike.
1: So you're saying, so you're saying Charlotte defended Sherry, or Charlie was upset that my that Sherry signed my mother's name on the document for the house.
0: Well, not only that, you know, it's funny when you're involved in a murder, when there's a murder involved, you know, like I say, some people, they go over to the bridge and jump off it. And the fact that you didn't do that, I'm I'm grateful for that. You know what I'm saying? Because you're a a stronger personality than you wouldn't have been if you hadn't gone through this. But at some point in time, you know, I said to Sherry, I said, tell me how many times you went up to Erie. She goes one time, and it was a very pleasant conversation. I said, "What did you do up there well i i, I was pregnant, and she says i i I did the uh, I papered my cl- my uh, cupboards I papered my cupboards, and that was it. and I said, "That's all you did. That's all I did. i looked I, it was real quiet for a little while, and I said, "Did you go down the basement?" She goes, "No." I said, "You know, sherry." I says I consider you a friend. I said, but you're fucking lying to me, right to my face. She goes, I'm not lying to you. I said, I'm not, not, Sherry, let me try to explain to you what happens when men are working down the basement sweating. Women make ham sandwiches with lettuce on it. They get lemonade or beer and take it down. You didn't go down because you knew that woman was down the basement. You knew that, Sherry. Jim, Jim, you need to go. Would you please go? <laughs>
1: So that's how it goes. Okay. So now, mm -hmm. so now we get to the interesting part. So you think, you think that Sherry and Mark Davis were participants in the murder of my mother.
0: Well, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this very carefully. Your mother's dead and she's up in Erie. They found her up in Erie. And there was a big question, was it her? It was her. But anyway, anyway, it's funny because the question is, how does she get up there? How did she get up there? And, And then there's a lot of questions are, you know, let's say, for instance, Jack's role in the case was not the murder. I said to him, did you kill her? He goes, on my mother's grave, I didn't kill her. I said, okay. I said, how'd she die? And he wouldn't tell me. And so... I said to him, how did she get up there? Was Jack's portion of the case to get her out of the house? And then the, whatever you want to call it, the, the group kills her and takes her up there. I don't know. But I'm saying this, that when I said to Jack, the first time I met him, I said, women do not throw their credit cards at you. You're lying. That's not true. She didn't do that. So whatever happened to her credit cards, you know, whether you picked them up off the floor, whether it's still in her purse, she did not do that. So why do not you be honest? Let's be honest. Let's tell the truth. And that's where we stood. So did the unit say to her, hey, you don't have to kill her, but we're gonna, you're gonna go bye-bye? Is she gonna go up Erie? You know, I don't know. And, and like I say, it's funny that forensic files they have that on, and I was I worked at the airport for a number of years, and um, it was funny one night they had your, that, your dad's case on, and that was the first time I saw them dig her out of the ground. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That was the first time I saw that, and it was funny. I, I I I never laughed about it, but I said to Monsignor, I said it's very strange to see a Rolex watch on her on her arm. Very strange. Yeah. I feel sorry for you, my friends. I really do. And like right. I said, I
1: don't feel don't feel bad for me. I mean, look, I you know, as you said a couple of minutes ago, you know, I've I'm here and I and I've learned strength from all of this, and and I'm a strong person, and I, I'm strong at the end of the day because of my mother, because of the things that my mother instilled in me as a child, and that's where I derive my strength from. Um, I believe. You know. Um, You know, and probably a higher power, I'm sure, of course, a higher power. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting that you just mentioned things because there's always, I remember that Sherry would say to, had said to me several times. You know, your father, like your father, Jack had no common sense. Jack had no common sense. And I always stuck with me. I was like, okay, well, I sort of knew my father was not, it was, you know, like when you just said, Jack Baumberger said, you know, that man couldn't screw in a light bulb. Like, you know, my father, uh, was probably not like a handy, I wouldn't say he was a handy person that would just like rent a jackhammer and dig a hole. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's interesting because it's, it, it, I've always felt like my father couldn't do, couldn't have done this. I still believe he's, he killed her, but I don't know if he did all that himself. I'm not really convinced of that.
0: I said to your dad, I said, you know, I said, you're you're an Irishman. I said, uh, you believe in leprechauns. Nobody puts a dead body in the basement of their house that they just paid $300,000 for. And I said, and I, I, we actually joked, and I, we had some popcorn, and we were joking. And I said, can I give you a little heads up? Here's a little heads up for you. Next time you kill somebody, paint their body with white paint, green, green and brown paint, and hoist them up in a pine tree, tie them up in a pine tree. It's better than putting them in your basement. Now, Now, was he the one that thought to put her in the basement, or was he set up? By buying the way he did, getting the carpeting, doing this on, According to him, he was totally set up. It was knowing, a... knowing that they were going to hang it on him. Or, or was it yeah. like, once he's down in the basement, that's the end of it.
1: So why, so then, okay, so then that begs the question, then why wouldn't my father admit this? Why wouldn't my father come out and say this during his parole? Why wouldn't he say it to me in the film? Why wouldn't he say, I sure as hell would. I'd be like, I was set up by these guys. I'm in prison. They should be here too. F this, you know, I've done really well with my profanity on this episode, by the way, guys, I have a, I, I told pastor Ernie, I said, I'm going to really watch my mouth. <laughs> so I, um, I promised him. So, um, uh, I, so I would say, you know, this is messed up and you know, I get me the hell out of here. Like, and these people are, these people need to be right next to me. That's, that's where I really, that's where I really, uh, look, my father had no, had no qualms about being disloyal to my mother. He ran around on her their entire marriage. And before they were married, I found all this out. Um, why, why is he holding out some sort of quote unquote loyalty to other people? It doesn't matter. And I, and, and uh, like, why wouldn't you just throw them under the bus too? I, I would, and I'm a really loyal guy, but I'd be like, screw this. I'm not going down alone. Even if he did, you, it posthumously or not posthumously opposed conviction just said, no, this is what happened or whatever. I would have just been, I mean, my father is so arrogant on the witness stand. He's such a, 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 my father is a liar and a narcissist. I mean, there's no question of that. Now, does that make him the perfect mark? Maybe, maybe they are like, you know what? He's a mark.
2: Collier, let me, let me tell you what I know. When
1: the last time right, I was
2: yeah. to, to visit him, that's when he switched over. Uh, to Islam, and I asked him, what sure. in the world? Why? What in the world? And I can tell you this. He was looking around at the other inmates in there, and you could tell he was he was scared. He was very afraid. Uh, and the idea of, I, I got the feeling, he didn't say this, not in so many words anyhow, but uh, he, he, I had the feeling that, they, that he felt they could get to him right where he was at in there, that there were people on the outside uh, that had let him know that he was to run his mouth on too many things that were going to get to him. I had that, I just got that feeling. And I've had that situation with a number of other inmates uh, over the years. You pick up a lot when you spend 45 years ministering on death row, you pick up a lot. Oh,
1: sure, sure. Uh, uh, but I don't know if it has any, I don't know if his fear was warranted because he was threatened by outside sources. It could just be you're in prison and you're, a a white guy in prison, or you're a mark in prison. You're a guy that's gone to prison for murdering his wife. You become a target of inmates. I mean, that's pretty much, you know, that's, I, I mean, I have, uh, I have not been to prison I have no desire to ever go to prison and I will never go to prison, uh, pray to God, but I, um, I. I, I do know that what goes on in the system is, 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 is just that, that you are, you do have to join a certain club or club or sect or religious, you know, group or whatever. Like you have to align yourself when you come to prison strategically. I mean, there's just, you know, there's many people who are interviewed on podcasts and things of that nature about how the prison, the incarceration system works, which is something I'm, I'm very big on seeing reformed. but. I think that, you know, you do do certain things for your protection. You do align with certain groups. I remember my father had these odd tattoos and I asked him and I was like, what are those? And he, and he was like, no, they there's nothing or whatever. Or they're for, or, or, I think he might have even said they're for protection. Um, and he didn't mean, it cause it has a sacred symbol on it. And, and, a, and a higher power is protecting me. I think it was like, you, you belong to a certain group and they see your tattoos and you're identified, like a gang, like a gang. You had to become a card for survival. But I don't know if that was survival because he was being threatened by the Mansfield elite. I think it was more of survival of you're in prison and you need to survive and you need, you're gonna be here for a long time, dude. You need to align yourself with someone, a group. No, they they, do that. He
2: let me know know very clearly that uh, they let him know that uh, they they could get to him wherever he was at uh, and they would they would know, you know what he had to say. In other words, I told you what he told me, and I got it out there. And look, it wasn't your father that made all those threats against us. It wasn't your father that told us to keep to stay out of Mansfield, not to talk about him, not to talk about the case, not to talk about uh, the the trafficking. Uh, it was it was coming there from from the corrupt. And the dirty cops out of Mansfield—that's where that was all coming from—and not just the cops, but the the judiciary, all of those involved. Sure. And so, but your dad told me that they, he knew that they could get to him wherever he's at. So, now how old? Can you tell me this? How old is he now?
1: He'll be seventy-nine on Sunday. Seventy-nine,
2: and he's still in prison. He's been down for how many years? That's that's been since what the nineties, right?
1: My father has been incarcerated since. My father has been, well, he's technically been in custody since the morning of January 25th, 1990. So he's been in custody ever since then, and he's formally been incarcerated in prison since like June 28th, 1990, something like that, I think is when he was officially convicted and sentenced. Um, yeah. It's all very interesting to me because. You know, and I think that when we look at the justice system or we look at these cases or things that happen, there are always, this is my sort of takeaway. Um, I think that what you guys were looking into, uh, obviously started before my father and continued after my father, I think my father was just sort of in the mix of all this. This was great though. I, I thank you guys so much. And it's actually. Really cool to talk to you. I want to talk to Martin Yant. I want to talk to Ted joy. I want to talk, I want to keep talking about this. This is very fascinating to me. Um, it's also educational and it's, uh, you know, and it's, I, I don't dismiss it as, you know, conjecture or anything. I, I just go, you know, these, there's, there's some legitimacy here. I feel all right, gentlemen. Um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been speaking with pastor Ernie Sanders and Jim clues about, wow. Some really interesting stuff. Um. You guys have to check it out for now. I'm Collier your Landry and this is moving past murder. Thanks y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners. Just like you, please subscribe via Apple podcasts, Spotify, audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film, A Murder in Mansfield, is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio, in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit MPMPodcast.com to show your support today.